Hey everyone, welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 37 through 39, which will be covering manga chapters 81 through 86. And on this episode, we're talking about one of the most iconic moments in One Piece, as well as the beginning of the Straw Hat Pirates versus the Arlong Pirates battles. This is going to be an action-packed one, so let's get right into it. So with the synopsis, the story continues with the Marines threatening to steal Nami's money, and Nami confronts Arlong about this and realizes he betrayed their deal, and Genzo, Nojiko, and the villagers decide that due to Arlong reneging on his deal, they want to fight for Nami's sake, but Nami knows that they are all walking to their deaths, and angry and desperate, she finally turns to Luffy for help, and together with the Straw Hats, they march into Arlong Park to confront Arlong and his crew. Luffy quickly takes care of Momu and Arlong's henchmen, but gets stuck in the water as a result. And now it becomes a race against time for Zoro, Usopp, and Sanji to defeat Arlong and his comrades, while also trying to free Luffy before he drowns. Woo! Exciting stuff. Alright, so the differences. So, most of the differences are actually kind of condensed down to the Zoro versus Hachi fight. And there are a couple things that are cut from the anime to presumably fit for better pacing, I'm assuming. So first, just after Zoro initially faints, Hachi tries to rain debris on Zoro by punching one of the stone pillars above him. But just as Hachi lands, Zoro gets back up and tells him to get crushed and pushes Hachi into the rain of debris instead. Then it continues on as Zoro once again passes out, and then Sanji gets knocked out by Kurobi. Another cut they made was in the manga when Zoro finishes Hachi, just before he does Tatsumaki, Zoro actually uses Onigiri first to break all of Hachi's swords and disarms him. Then Hachi tries to attack Zoro with a barrage of bare-fisted punches, and then Zoro launches into the Tatsumaki in a sort of a combo attack. In the anime, he doesn't do the onigiri and just goes straight into the tatsumaki, which is what breaks Hachi's swords and finishes them off at the same time. This would actually get presented correctly in the episode of East Blue Special. They actually go in and add the onigiri back into it. One thing that's not a big deal at all, but I always hated that was left out, was just before when he positions himself for the tatsumaki, in the manga, the way he tilts his swords and positions his body is similar in the shape to an eastern dragon. And there's an outline of a dragon behind him that's replaced here with Mihawk's eyes instead in the anime. They would go on and insert the dragon in several of the movies, but it really doesn't see much use in the anime for some reason until much, much later on. But that is it for the differences that I could find. Now, let's get into the episodes themselves. So beginning this episode, we again see another example of just how corrupt the marines are, taking bribes from Arlong and neglecting the plight of the people of Kokoyashi village. Now they're about to steal the one source of hope they all had, and we're all just as pissed and infuriated with the marines and Arlong. In the process, we get the reveal, although not that surprising, that Genzo and the other people of the village all knew of Nami's sacrifice and her mission. And it just creates an even more heartbreaking situation as they've both been isolating themselves from each other for eight long years for pretty much no reason at this point. Not only that, but in a fit of rage, Nami attacks Nezumi, but Nojiko steps in to stop her. But Nezumi shoots Nojiko, wounding her in the shoulder. And things just keep 
spinning piled on at this point, but it's not over as Nami confronts Arlong of his betrayal, but he weasels his way out of it over semantics and loopholes and being just a total scum about it. And at this point, you just absolutely hate Arlong, and Oda does it again in creating another villain that we just absolutely hate and want to see just destroyed. He's so good at this. I It just seems like every single villain he's come up with, regardless of how complex they are, there is one thing he never fails at, is creating a villain that we all just hate. However, it gets even worse for Nami as the villagers, including Nojiko, have decided enough is enough and they're ready to give their lives to stand up to Arlong. But Nami once again tries to put on a happy facade to calm everyone down, that she'll raise the money again, And but that scene where Genzo embraces her to tell her that they all know it's pointless and tells her to escape at this point. And Oda really piles it on for Nami and us the viewer, we completely feel Nami's frustration and hopelessness. I honestly still feel her anger and rage towards Arlong here when she begins to repeatedly stab her tattooed shoulder over and over again until Luffy finally shows up and grabs her arm to stop her. This scene is so visceral. There's no music. It's just silence and Nami screaming and stabbing. And it's just this bloody sound that's just, oh, it's so tough to watch. But it's used to amazing effect to make us really just sit in the scene and force us to take in all of Nami's despair and anger. Just like with Buggy, Kuro, Krieg, Oda does again such an amazing job of making us hate Arlong. And like I said, we want nothing more than to see him get his ass handed to him. But Arlong is on a whole other level. And this goes back to how much better of a storyteller Oda has become. And this is the payoff of that with the insane amount of investment he's got out of us at this point. This next portion is seen in the One Piece fandom slash community as one of the most iconic moments in the series. And it's usually what turns viewers, like regular viewers, into diehard fans. When Luffy does finally show up, it's an amazing relief. But we're still left with this uneasy feeling as to what will happen next as Nami is still rejecting Luffy, telling him to go away and leave over and over, trying to stay strong to keep that promise she made as a kid. But eventually she does break down crying and asks Luffy to help her. And Akemi Okumura's acting here is incredible. Just the way she says, Luffy, taskete, is just so heartbreaking and yet oddly cathartic at the same time. I always shed a tear here for Nami, but then Luffy puts his straw hat on Nami's head signifying his full trust in her and she realizes at this moment as she remembers the first time they ever met how angry he got when somebody else touched that hat and it just proves to her that Luffy is somebody different and that it's somebody she can put her trust in. And then as Luffy marches on, it's epically revealed that Zoro, Sanji, and Usopp are already there ready and waiting to follow Luffy into battle to Arlong Park. And I don't know how Oda does it, but he makes a simple act of walking epic. This is seriously the only piece of fiction I've ever read or seen that makes walking epic. Just seeing the four of them walking towards Arlong Park, just dripping with swagger and the sheer anticipation that builds and that music. I think that track is called Overtaken. It's so good. Another thing that helps build this is the reveal that Johnny and Yosaka didn't decide to run and after hearing 
Nami's story as well through the trees, they actually tried to help by taking Arlong on, but also promptly getting their asses handed to them. But they were staying and holding off the villagers to save them from throwing their lives away. And the speech they give to explain that there are a group of people that are on their way and the way that they hype up the Straw Hats is amazing. Like everything about this scene is so good at creating so much suspense and hype for what we're about to see. This is so good. And it's worth the wait. Like sitting through 30 plus episodes to finally get to this point is so worth it. And I think this is why One Piece is so good, but also has such a hard time building a fan base, even though despite its immense popularity, it's just, it's hard to get into. But if you give it the patience, man, the payoffs are just so good. We then finally get to Luffy busting down the gate to Arlong Park and demanding to know which one of them is Arlong and immediately punches him. What makes this part so hype-worthy is the fact that for the first time you see Luffy begin the confrontation already pissed. But then right after he punches Arlong, it does an extreme close-up on Luffy's angered face demanding to not make their navigator cry to really hammer home the point that Luffy is seriously pissed off right now. And when you mess with his nakama, that is where you'd cross the line. And this is also another great satisfying Luffy punch on display here. And he just has like a million of them, but this is not quite on the top list, but we'll get to those later on in the story. Although before moving on, I want to mention that one thing that makes Arlong Park so great and exciting is because it highlights for the first time what makes One Piece so well-suited and unique to the concept of crew battles. Because each pirate has its own crew, we can automatically get these cool matchups that we can get excited for. And this is the first time the crew is fully formed and together, of course, minus Nami. But still, it's awesome seeing this 4v4 matchup set up. And this is the first time it really takes advantage of this. And that is easily one of the more fun things to do in One Piece is every arc they whenever they get to a point in the story where they go up against another crew the fun is theorizing who will go up against who obviously it's not very difficult to pick those out but it's always still really fun to theorize about okay who's going to end up fighting who on each other's crew and one piece does this better than any other anime series i think Getting back to the episode, Arlong and Hachi orders Momu to attack the Straw Hats, but then there's this funny moment where Momu recognizes Luffy and Sanji from before when they beat him up, and he attempts to run, but Arlong threatens him. With that, Momu all of a sudden goes into a rage and tries to attack them, but Luffy then employs this new technique he's thought up of. And this is actually a funny callback to episode 37, where just after he sees Genzo for the first time and is mesmerized by the pinwheel on his head, he mentions right then... He just came up with a fun new attack, and this is it. The Gomu Gomu no Pinwheel. However, in true Luffy fashion, while it is effective in defeating Momu and a bunch of Harlong's henchmen, it's not a very well thought out plan, as he's now stuck in the concrete, unable to move. I love the moment where Sanji gets to show just how strong he is to everyone else by saving Luffy from Hachi's attack. And it's just this cool little moment where it's like, Sanji is here. And he's basically Luffy's left-hand man. Obviously, Zoro is his right-hand man. But together with Zoro and Sanji, they make up the backbone of Luffy's front-line support. 
It's also fun to see all the constant references to cooking the fishmen as he's talking trash to them. <laughs> I like this dynamic of a cook fighting fish. Another small detail that I think gets missed is the little buildup that's set up to give each one verse one fight a bit more of a personal stake. Obviously, Hachi and Zoro already have most of the buildup done in the earlier interactions in the last few episodes. And then also Usopp was captured earlier by Chu as well. But then I love the very simple but effective connection between them with him accidentally flinging Luffy into Chu. Also, they recognize each other's exaggerated facial features with Usopp's nose and Chu's mouth. <laughs> Sanji, on the other hand, keeps bad-mouthing the fishman because Kurobi keeps dis- disrespecting Nami, ticking Sanji off due to his strong sense of chivalry, which was also set up earlier in this arc, and then obviously his affection for Nami. With all that established, it sets each fight to have some more individual and personal stakes really well, which adds another layer of anticipation and enjoyment of each conflict. That is one thing One Piece is so great at setting up. It's the context and reason for each fight, which is why One Piece fights, while not as flashy or cool as other shonen anime series, they never get boring, and quite the opposite. That's why they're so damn enjoyable and satisfying, because you don't necessarily care so much as to how the fight looks, but because you're so invested in the outcome and the exchange between the opponents... It's still really fun to watch, and you never get bored of a One Piece fight. I don't think I've ever sat through a fight in One Piece, no matter how big or small, and thought, this is boring, because Oda does such an amazing job of setting up these contexts and relationships between each the opponents. Arlong then takes this opportunity to create a little sadistic game, ripping the concrete Luffy is stuck in out of the ground and throwing him into the water while making the Straw Hats have to beat them in order to save him. Setting a time limit always raises the tension and creates even more suspense. But before he gets thrown into the water, I do love the joke that after Luffy gets his fist bit by Arlong, he pointlessly tries to bite Arlong back. And Arlong's face here is pretty funny. It's just like complete shock that someone would even try to do that in this situation. He's like, ah! (laughs) It's so funny. Another bit of cool character development I love seeing in this arc is that Zoro is already starting to grow into and naturally taking on the role of the first mate and becoming Luffy's right-hand man. Earlier on, after Nojiko told them the story of Nami's past, Zoro is the one that gathers everyone up and decides that it's time to go meet up with Luffy, as he somehow knew that the time for combat was nearing. And here, after Luffy gets incapacitated, he again takes on the leadership role by staying rational and stopping Sanji from rashly jumping into the water to save Luffy, but rather recognizing that it's a bad idea to jump in the water before they take care of Hachi and Kuroobi. Also, both Sanji and Zoro, as much as they don't work well together, they do also put aside their differences, and when they do, they are actually a good combo because of just how strong they both are. Now we get to the first 1v1 fight, the Hachi versus Zoro fight. I will always love watching this episode. This fight is so damn fun and cool. First off, the comedy during this fight is hilarious with Hachi's almost idiotic and whimsical personality. The cutting off the hair is hilarious. <laughs> and, the, and the I'm gonna forgive you because hair grows back. In Japanese, he, he uses the word yurusu, which is just the word for forgive you. It's a common trope in Japanese anime for someone to yell yurusanaizo, which is I won't forgive you. But it plays on this trope by him just yelling yurusu all dramatically. <laughs> 
Then the fact that Zoro is essentially the straight man to this weird comedic duel is funny in and of itself with all of his reactions to Hachi's shenanigans, like missing all three attempts of the triple sword catch, or my personal favorite, Hachi calling out a technique as he's hanging on the pillar and then not doing anything for like a solid five to six seconds of total silence followed by an irritated Zoro yelling, So what the hell is that? Hurry up and get down! I love it when the when Kazuya Nakai uses that exasperated, high-pitched Zoro voice because it's so funny. You always hear Zoro in this like super stern, low voice. And then whenever he gets exasperated with something, he just goes into that high pitch. And it's funny as hell. But beyond the comedy, the suspense that is built with this fight, in addition to Luffy's time limit, by building off another element from the last arc, it makes total sense that Zoro would not be totally recovered from all the injuries he sustained in his fight with Mihawk just days ago, and it's starting to take a toll on him. And I like that the fact that, yes, Zoro is a freaking monster in that he recovers from things pretty quickly, but having just fought a Shibukai and taking multiple hits, like dramatically damaging hits from Mihawk, of course he's not going to be recovered. And I like that there's still that sort of building off of that previous arc. And I like that connection because it really rewards you for having paid attention. So now it's also a race against his own body. But that's not enough as Sanji notices this and takes his eye off Kurobi and suffers a massive hit and gets sidelined. This has now turned into a supremely dire situation as Zoro's health is quickly deteriorating. And he is the only one left standing against three fishmen until he eventually succumbs to his own injuries too and passes out. But of course, Zoro being the coolest character, he gets back up all epically and declares that because he still has to see someone again, not even the Grim Reaper could take his life. But not to be quite outdone by Zoro, Sanji has his cool resurrection moment as well. Sanji stating that if that was a 40 down punch from Kurobi, then Zeph's kicks were at least a 400 done. And that's like, damn Sanji with the cool burn on that one. And it's so freaking cool when you see both of them just having these epic moments after epic moments. And these fights are just getting started. And with that, we get Zoro finally becoming serious with him finally putting on his bandana and asking to borrow Johnny and Yosak's swords. And at this point, yeah, we were all wondering, like, Zoro only has one sword right now. Where is he going to get the other two? And it makes sense that Johnny and Yosak would be the ones that lend him the swords. And all I can say is this fight is so damn cool. As the swords are both spinning towards him, Hachi's attack incoming with a barrage of six swords, he grabs them in midair just in time with his back turned and proceeds to dodge every sword swing gracefully with this new move called Toro Nagashi, which is translated as streaming wolf swords, which is what the kanji does translate to but often with Zoro's moves, they have a double meaning. And in Japan, they have a practice at the end of the Buddhist Obon Festival where people would light floating lanterns and send them afloat to guide the spirits of their loved ones. And that is called the Toro Nagashi as well, which also kind of fits the name of the move because he's sort of just flowing through the attacks. As you see, he's just kind of like weaving in and out and flowing and floating with the attacks. So it's cool that both the meanings actually work. And after a few more counterattacks from Zoro, he 
finishes off Hachi with a new epic move called the Tatsumaki or Dragon Twister, which sees Zoro rapidly spinning around and sending his opponent up into the air being sliced up. The anime does this scene so well with the music and the direction, creating a super epic finale to this fight. And again, Tatsumaki is also another move that has several meanings. Aside from Dragon Twister, Tatsumaki is also literally the word for tornado, which is what the move is. It's it's a giant tornado that he creates with his sword swings. But there's also another food meaning, just like onigiri, which is a rice ball. Amaki is a sushi roll. And so it can also be read as a dragon roll or even tornado roll. So I always get a hoot out of Zoro's moves. It's kind of funny when you really like look at the the meaning behind them. And I know for a fact Oda is doing this on purpose. With Hachi defeated, Zoro tries to go into the water but is unable to move and Kurobi is there to finish Zoro. But Sanji obviously comes in and protects him at the last minute. Zoro realizing they've taken way too much time and Luffy needs help now. Sanji also understanding this decides to jump in to help despite the extreme disadvantage and danger this presents. But then Sanji sees Nojiko and Genzo under the water and they have Luffy's head stretched above the water to give him CPR. Seeing this he realizes Luffy is safe for now but before he can get back to the surface Kurobi hits Sanji in the back of the neck and then this also is intercut with Usopp still hilariously running away from Chu. And the episode ends right here on this cliffhanger with both of them in danger. And of course, on the next episode, we'll hopefully get to see the conclusions to their fights. But yeah, in closing, like I said, these are some of the best episodes in the series thus far. And perhaps in many people's eyes, some of the best episodes in the series, period. The sheer amount of emotions these three episodes get you to experience is nothing short of a masterpiece, but the lowest of lows when it comes to the sadness and anger that we have when Nami is left helpless asking for help, to the highest of highs when Luffy just yells out, damn right, and gathers everyone to charge Arlong Park. It's just incredible. And not many things outside of One Piece can match that. I mean, within One Piece, later on in the story, there are moments that match this. But I don't think I've ever had anything like this outside of maybe Avengers Endgame with the final Avengers Assembled scene. But, I mean, that's just one moment out of a 10-year movie franchise. And One Piece seems to constantly do this throughout the series. And not many things can say they can match that. Next week, I'm putting out an episode slightly off topic. I'll be taking a slight break from the normal rewatch podcast episodes, and I'm going to upload an episode that goes through and ranks all the One Piece openings based on my least favorites to my favorites. So if you are somewhat caught up with the entire series or don't care about spoilers, give that a listen. Either way, I will be back with the continuation of the rewatches the week after that with episodes 40 through 43. If you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this adventure of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast. I know I haven't really been tweeting too much, but my Instagram is still pretty active. If you want updates of when I post new episodes or if you want to see some more of my pictures, please check that out. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast, and I hope to see you on the next episode. And there really is no spoiler section. Again, I don't think this really has too many things that allude to future episodes. So yeah, no spoilers. So I'll see you next week, or if you decide to skip this next week, I'll see you in two weeks. So yeah, bye.